0: Hey, app growth community. My name is Eric Wu, and I would love to welcome you to the App Growth Show, where we talk everything about growing your app. From app launches, user acquisition, retention, monetization strategies, and so much more. I have some exciting news to share with all of you today. The App Growth Network and Bravo Capital just launched our free ebook, Four Steps to Supercharge User Acquisition and How to Get the Funds to Do It. It's a step-by-step guide on how you can determine what type of funding your app needs and how you can quickly scale user acquisition through revenue-based funding. It's the perfect resource for you to take your app to the next level. So what are you waiting for? Head over to appgrowthnetwork.com slash ebooks right now to download your copy today to get the funds you need to supercharge your user acquisition funnel. All right, let's jump into today's episode. And now a quick word from our episode partner, Bravo Capital.
1: Bravo Capital is the pioneer of cohort-based funding, the non-dilutive investment model powering rapid growth for ambitious consumer subscription businesses worldwide. Bravo portfolio companies have earned more than $2 billion in revenue and acquired over 100 million subscribers. Turn future subscription renewals into today's capital for growth. Learn more at getbravo.com. That's G-E-T-B-R-A-A-V-O.com.
0: Have you ever struggled to compete with the top grossing apps in acquiring new users? Have you ever found it to be risky to raise capital for your app through equity or debt? I know I have. In today's episode, we're joined by Fouad Saidi, CEO of App Growth Network, and Mark Laranger, co-founder of Bravo Capital, who will be sharing with you why it's the best of both worlds to raise capital for your app through revenue-based funding. And they will also share expert tips and tricks with you that you can implement right now to boost your user acquisition process. Let's go.
2: Oh, hi, Mark. How's
1: it going? It's going well. How are you?
2: Doing well. Thanks for becoming our uh, guest this week to this week's agn podcast today we are with mark loranger founder ceo of bravo capital Uh, mark tell us tell a little bit about yourself
1: Uh, yeah so my co-founder and i started bravo uh several years ago now um you know and and our initial hypothesis was that technology companies are uh you know generating massive amounts of data and and that data can be used for a variety of things whether it's for uh, making smart decisions in marketing or for providing funding Uh, And so our vision was to provide funding uh, through access to data created by technology companies and and we really focused on subscription apps as our core uh, market. Uh, We believe subscription apps is just this massive opportunity it's growing 20 to 30% year on year. Uh, And what we provide is financing based upon data Uh, that data goes from marketing to revenue to subscription analytics. Uh, And our funding is non-dilutive, which means that that funding uh, does not require equity, uh, does not require extensive due diligence, diligence. Uh, it is based purely on the data that we have access to through live integrations. uh, And our customers can get funding on demand based on their real performance, um, not pitch decks, not where you went to school and not where you're from. Thank you very much.
2: So at the beginning of this podcast, I didn't mention. My name is Fawad Saidi. I'm your host today. I'm the founder and CEO of App Growth Network. We are a growth agency in Vancouver, Canada, uh, focusing on full stack optimization services for mobile apps, including app store optimization, paid marketing, paid user acquisition, and CRM and lifecycle marketing. We've been around for over three years touched over 100 apps from all over the world and they're growing rapidly as well so one of the topics that is i think you and i share a lot of like similarities of the kind of clientele we work with they're analytical they're data driven um that they're actually in the growth phase right mm-hmm. and um in some of the things that it, they talk about is always a budget allocation and money and it's really important for them to uh, basically Mash that with the right stage of their growth so what are the industry best practices for budget allocation for different phases that you see
1: sure you know i i mean uh, taking a a step back from from you know the, the the mobile subscription mobile app space and just general like company building um you know what i think that your budget allocation should be primarily focused on in early stages um, getting a product in market, demonstrating some traction, uh, and proving that you can find people, users or customers that love what you're doing, um, and ideally that are willing to pay for it, right? And so, uh, you know, budget in my mind, you know, for getting to MVP, um, getting early users, uh, and and hiring teams should be really focused on on the areas where you can build a product that demonstrates value. Um, you know, I think that there's a, the allure of acquiring lots of users at scale really quickly. Um, but if you have a leaky funnel, uh, you haven't proven value uh, that that money is wasted. So so, you know, from my perspective and, and you know, the reality is like both of us, uh, a lot of the our focus is on the marketing side, you know, how companies are scaling. Often that is allocating resources to marketing. Um, for the most part, if you're early stage, uh, your resources, in my mind, should be allocated towards building a really fantastic product and uh, user experience You know that retains users. That people pay for that people love Um, and ultimately, if you can get your users to be amplifiers, uh, you know if you can get your users to market your product. um, That you're not paying for uh, you're going to get ahead of the game, Um, and so I think that in the earliest stages that's kind of where I would allocate my resources, you know, one of the challenges of getting from sort of early stage MVP to scale is. That retention piece of the puzzle. Retaining users for a long period of time in subscription apps, it's getting people to renew. Um, you know, first you want them to convert to paying subscribers, and you want them to renew. Uh, in the case of sort of building product that has long-term value, you want retention. Uh, and really, the only way to optimize the product experience. Is to have enough users where you can run tests, where you can try different things, where you can do segmentation. And in order, to, in order to do all that, in order to have enough volume to do segmentation, to run tests, to optimize for renewal rates at you know period three or period four, period five, um, you need volume. And so there is this chicken and egg thing where you know like the argument that i'm making about building a great product well that does require volume at some point point. and so once you can prove you can acquire uh you can get customers to, to to pay for something uh and you can get them to like it um you know you do need to start investing in marketing and, and so so post sort of this early traction this early product market fit there need, needs to be investment in marketing um but i still think that even in in, in, in at that phase and let's call it like post product market fit but like pre-scale mm-hmm. um you know the best way to Get more customers um, is to do sort of the marketing that is more related to organic, uh, you know, uh, app store optimization, uh, and and trying to find ways to sort of hack growth versus doing pure paid user acquisition because that gets really expensive really fast unless you have a large budget. Paid user acquisition is really hard to to be successful at. So I'm going to take a pause because I've been talking a lot. I, I sort of addressed the the earliest stage, like pre pre sort of uh, Pre MVP or or pre traction, then sort of the 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 first phases of of getting a product uh, to monetize and, and early growth. Um, maybe I'll I'll stop and let you kind of fill in the gaps uh, where I missed okay. or where I not necessarily answer your question. Well,
2: actually, that's thanks for this, Mark. We actually recently came up with an ebook together with Bravo uh, App Growth Network. Bravo actually put this together. The ebook is gonna be the link of that. We're gonna put below this podcast. Four steps to supercharge UA addresses some of these things so we deal with clients when they approach us sometimes it is a pre-launch phase to MVP and product kind of proving stage so we usually recommend like you know allocating some budgets sometimes even like $50,000 between agency and media fees for pre-launch just to get it out there right to try it based on as sometimes five to ten thousand users is just enough but users right not just downloads so they're actually using the app they're flowing throughout the product and we want to make statistical significance decisions based on how product is performing sometimes a thousand users a thousand downloads may or may not be enough right to actually make decisions did they actually subscribe for retention day seven or not right we see that all the time people make poor decisions and one of the Biggest challenge for them is lack of data, not knowing what the benchmarks are. Is retention day 7, 30% healthy or not healthy for health and fitness meditation app, right? So I think that one of the most important part is they actually have enough intelligence, right? They're relying on what's healthy, spend wise, spend smart for when the products are like, I'm, for example, right now playing Coin Master. Hyper-growing, crazy game, but we kind of see there is a lot of social referral elements in the product. Right. They're spending it when they know they're going to make the money back because everything is in place. But man, that that product was not built overnight. You know, there's a lot of effort has been to getting the product to the level that was a lot of little things to make it ready. So you guys have this concept, you call it RBF. What is that? What is the philosophy behind that?
1: Sure, sure. So so you know, revenue-based financing is, is a way to provide funding or financing to companies that are generating revenue uh that is non-dilutive meaning that we're not taking equity uh we are providing funding based on the likelihood of a company to generate revenue now and in the future Uh, And the way you determine the likelihood of a company generating revenue now and in the future is through data. Um, The most obvious data sources, of course, are like transactions. Is a company generating money today? Well, what's the likelihood of them generating money tomorrow, right? Um, The more sophisticated forms of RBF or revenue-based financing rely on more sophisticated data sets. So how effectively is a company acquiring customers? Um, You know, what are their economics of user acquisition, for example? Uh, You know, if a company is spending money profitably on user acquisition, well, it stands to reason that if you gave them more money, uh, they're going to spend that profitably and generate more downstream revenue. Um, same thing goes for downstream engagement activity. Um, if you can measure the retention of a particular app, uh, you know, you, you asked about benchmarks. If you have benchmarking against high quality retention metrics for monthly subscription products or annual subscription apps, for example, um, you have a high degree of, of, of sort of foresight into the revenue that that company will create in the future, and you provide funding based on that future revenue. So the funding is, is fixed fee. It's not equity-based. Uh, there's a fee of cents on the dollar, uh, mm-hmm. and that, that money is repaid from some piece of future revenue. Whether that piece of future revenue is based upon uh, you know, a revenue sharing model uh, or um, you know, revenue renewal of subscriptions, for example, you can get repaid from renewals of subscriptions. Um, you know, It is sort of revenue-based funding means financing based on future revenue that you get upfront today, and the, the provider, uh, in our case, you know, ourselves, will collect our repayment in the form of pieces of future revenue, as well as some small fee. Now, the difference between revenue-based financing equity is 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 purely, uh, you know, we take a small fee in the dollar, cents on the dollar, whereas equity investors, VCs, for example, they'll take a chunk, a chunk of your company. Um, now, some businesses want to sell a chunk of their company to equity right. investors. Um, and many of our customers have done that as well. Uh, but we do believe that there's sort of, just like in building a tech stack there's a there's a financing stack for most right. businesses and there isn't a one solution it's multiple no. solutions multiple right. tools for the job you know we are one of those core tools that most subscription businesses should rely on to grow right. more efficiently uh, manage dilution and, and get access to capital really quickly.
2: You can write essays about like what's right. Sometimes it's strategic investment is good. They can provide services, right? But also it comes mm-hmm. with, you have other people that you have to report to other people you have to deal with, you know, you're not alone anymore. It has cons and pros. You can mm-hmm. go to the bank, but when banned, you have to have your collaterals. We talked about it in the past, right? Your personal yep. collaterals involved. Whereas dealing with you guys, there's no personal collateral. It's all against apps to receivables. And you take over the billing and the rest of that is on-demand funding as needed, right? But I'm yeah, exactly. a exactly. Analytical yeah. environment, Mark, right? Right, right. It's,
1: it's, it's all based on data. You know, we believe, you right. know, like historical financing partners, banks, for example, uh, they look at physical collateral, right? Whereas we look at data right. as collateral. And we interpret that data. And we believe that we have an insight into that data that enables us to provide funding that you wouldn't get elsewhere, um, you know, for the costs that are much lower than giving away a chunk of your company, giving away control. You know, sometimes founders are less sensitive about, you know, selling 10% of their company so long as they don't give away control. You know, they don't they don't give away their decision to sell, for example. You know, as soon as you raise money from outside investors, uh, that that changes the likelihood of you selling your business two or three years down the road uh, because those investors might not want you to sell. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of trade-offs with raising equity. Uh, and, you know, none of those trade-offs exist with taking you know, revenue based financing like what we offer. Um, but again, you know, we can offer funding based on real revenue or real revenue that we believe will exist in the not too distant future equity investors will will invest based upon revenue that might not exist for 10 years, but they believe it'll be a billion dollars in 10 years. And so they'll make an investment today based on future potential that is much more sort of long-term focused than any type of funding partner that needs to get repaid with some reasonable window of repayment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess
2: um, what benefits can apps begin to see on what, on UA front with this kind of RFP kind of methods?
1: Well, look. You know, um, if you're if you're investing in paid marketing, and, right. and if you're investing in paid marketing profitably, um, right. the sooner you can get access to more funds, the sooner you can reinvest and right. you can create a, fi- a flywheel of profit. And if your ROAs is five months or six months or mm-hmm. eight months, and you can take money today uh, at with some small fee that is less than your profitability at month eight and it takes you eight months to get repaid, well, you've just front-loaded your entire profit, right? And so as soon as you spend that money, it turns into profit. Uh, you can take additional capital and spend that money. And, and you know, as long as your ROAS horizon doesn't stretch out way too far into the future, yeah. you're essentially subsidizing your marketing budget with non-dilutive funds and you're still profitable in the dollar so you can really supercharge your growth. Um, most of the time, what we see and this is just to, to you know, to be, really re- to, to be realistic about the circumstances is, you know, we have a pretty unlimited capacity to provide funding to companies that are scaling effectively. You know, we've deployed more than half a billion dollars to our customers. Um, the limiting factor isn't usually our ability to fund, it's companies' ability to scale efficiently. And to continue spending more money, uh, you know it's really hard to spend profitably on user acquisition right now. And part of this conversation, I think we'll talk a little bit about different strategies for UA and how they've evolved over time uh, in light of uh, you know privacy changes and and, and platform challenges. Um, but you know the the, the reality is, uh, you know if you're trying to scale your business right now and, and you've got an app subscription company, you know you have to be really creative about UA, um, and you can't expect that it's a never ending sort of profit system, right? Um, You have to spend some money, you have to be profitable. You have to prove that you can continue spending money more effectively, but so long as you are spending money profitably, uh, there's every reason to take as much money as you can get
2: uh,
1: because you're turning that into profit. Well, I can, yeah, I
2: mean, that's a really good point. And I'm thinking about a mutual client of us to be half, Mm-hmm. and there is this meditation app you guys built a case study with them right 10 percent 10 percent happier has been a
1: client of ours for many years yeah
2: yeah same as us It's a great client case study we can talk about how they have actually gone to bravo they've actually got funding they built a brand like the 10 yeah. percent happier brand is really strong and it's one of the top i think 50 grossing apps in the health and fitness genre i was looking at app annie today and now, obviously, like we're providing apps store optimization services to them, and things are, things are on the on the right track. And you know, it's it's a good example of a company that took advantage of the funding at the rates at right, the right stage of growth. And you know, now at some point build a brand, at some point realizing now I could, I need a bit of a paid media and then organic at the same kind of uh, at the same ta- time. And then we talked about like different type of UA. You know, I think that will be a good time to actually bring it up. Talk mm-hmm. about, like, you know, um, how user act mine basically main buckets of UA, like in App Growth Network. I guess say organic and app store optimization is a, a core service that we offer here. Honestly, when you search for the keyword uh, fitness in the Play Store, you kind of see the top apps. They've actually optimized it fully, but it is not a standalone channel. It's not something that you can change a few keywords just mm-hmm. that the algorithms got smarter. On days we could actually change keywords and description that can rank to the store. It's about the brand. It's about conversion rate. It's about CRO. It's about how much actually is UA supporting the organic, right? Is paid UA supporting it? it is it? Is, it has to be cohesive throughout your marketing strategy, right? And even paid UA, you got to have a plan for Apple search ads, for Facebook ads, for Google. Each of them are different. And Apple is based on a query. Google, you just like, you know, basically for scale, Android scale, and Facebook, super hyper-targeted. Obviously, you pay more money for it, but then you get what you paid for, right? And, you know, so we actually have like a strategy of what channels to use for each different stage. And obviously, you can go to DSP and ad networks beyond that. And if you read the ebook with AGN and Bravo, we have all the details of some of these things in place. Anything to add to that, Mark?
1: Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it, it, as the... It, it, the App Store has been around, what, 11 years now. Uh, Subscription apps as a way to monetize six years, five or six years. Uh, You know, the the world of UA and and customer acquisition and just marketing more broadly has changed dramatically over the past several years. Uh, You can't just launch an app and and do some basic ASO and then start spending money on Facebook ads and expect to be successful. Um, You you have to have a multi-platform strategy. Multi-platform doesn't just mean Facebook and Apple Search and TikTok. It means Facebook, Apple Search, TikTok, maybe um, some more traditional types of media. Certainly, you know, organics, a a, a critical piece of that. Um, But most of our customers and particularly more mature customers, they're investing in building a brand. Um, And, and, you know, that's a long term investment, but that pays off in the long term, as we see, because the more you build your brand, the the cheaper it should be for paid marketing, because people are more familiar when they see those ads. Uh, The other piece is, again, these long term investments aren't just on the marketing side, but on the product side. Uh, Because, you know, if you can improve your year one renewal rates on annual subscriptions substantially, uh, that's much more valuable than eking out another cent or two of profit on the UA side, right? And and so, you know, there there really needs to be a pretty holistic marriage between marketing and product in order to build a long-term, sustainable, healthy business.
2: Especially right now, these days, I think with iOS 14 and now 15, all the privacy changes, the limitations on direct tracking, and I I paid a dollar here, I got a dollar back. You know, I mean, you can still do uh, predictive modeling and various ways of tracking things in place. But in the absence of some of that, you definitely need to make sure this product is bulletproof, right? There's a good product marketing strategy, the right lifecycle and CRM marketing becomes more important. Right now we're like partnering up at the major tools, Braze, Lean Plum, like, you know, the one signal to be able to leverage to support. You know, there are times that I actually tell clients, I don't want you to spend more money on advertising because your retention is not where it needs to be. And they're like, well, no, we don't want to just take your money, right? Because we know it's not going to make you, give you sustainable cohorts of users. And Mm -hmm. sometimes the question like, well, our philosophy is different.
1: Yeah, well, look, and, and again, that goes back to this idea that um you know the this life cycle marketing is really valuable because in, in many ways you've already purchased that person that user that that id uh, right. and reengaging with them uh is again very very important re-engaging with them uh reactivating them and, and retaining them in one way or another uh it's like your subscribers are a really massive asset you know when we provide funding in many ways based upon existing subscribers the likelihood that they'll renew because we know those subscribers are an asset well, your your CRM system is an asset, and and so you know maybe you shouldn't spend another fifteen dollars on the next impression for someone that you don't already know and you already have them in your in your database. And you just maybe you 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 made a mistake, bad product experience, whatever happened six months ago. But it might be worthwhile to try to to reconnect with them in one way or another.
2: Hundred percent. Have you seen any trends in the UA costs because of COVID changes recently, or in the App Store?
1: Well, I mean, there's been all kinds of craziness, you know, we've seen over the past year, right? Um, uh, In the mid-market where we play in small and medium-sized spenders, Uh, you know, the right after COVID hit, it was really cheap uh, to buy users on Facebook because all the big brands, the big spenders pulled out, you know, the, yep. the com, players, retail. Uh, so it got really cheap. And then the, the algorithm sort of overcorrected and then it got really expensive uh, through the summer of last year. This is 2020 we're talking about now. The big spenders didn't have as much trouble as the midsize and smaller companies. But again, the midsize and smaller companies are the ones that we, pr- we primarily work with. Um, they really struggle to spend profitably. And I think it's been a real challenge to spend profitably and scale profitably on Facebook ever since that time. Um, there's been some windows of, of of opportunity here and there. but what what most of our customers and what we've seen in the market, um, what, what most people have done is, 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 is diversify. You know we're most but most most if not all of the budget of mid-sized and smaller companies was going to Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. two years ago. now it is is much more distributed between um, you know Facebook. Facebook and Instagram, Apple Search, uh, Google, um, UAC, or, 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 you know, they they keep changing the branding, but the the Google platform for advertising. um, TikTok has has picked up quite a bit. Um, Snapchat is it looked like Snapchat was going to be more successful. We haven't seen as much success. We've seen TikTok kind of take yeah. over uh, that 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 position um, after Apple Search in our platform. And then, like you mentioned, DSPs—you know, like the the gaming ad networks, for example, for for gaming companies, um, AppLovin, Iron Source—you uh, know, the, the those those are those are the places where we see a lot of um, you know the the residual budget going. But again, two years ago, there was not much residual budget. It was Instagram, um, yeah.
2: 100 percent i actually agree with you obviously an agency um a week ago i was having uh uh, some having dinner with the founder of this new game that they're actually spending a million dollars a month they're five people company they have a publisher as well Mm -hmm. and he said 90 percent of their advertising is spent on dsps and ad networks for that it's a you know kind of casual simulation type of app Um, I think it's really different per genre as well, like you know when it comes to, for example, holiday season, we see some holiday apps that we they are like our flagship kind of projects. Uh, Big investment goes to Apple and Google Google Apps because it's in the marketplace right. yeah So really like I think for for meditation health and fitness we've seen a hybrid of mix of everything combination of search. Combination and Facebook is the hardest one always recently the scale. Sometimes just um for kids' apps, even like the privacy stuff, can you track with the app flyer or other tools, like right? what can't you track or what can you track? They don't even allow you like certain attribution tools they have to build in-house. So some of that is defined by what they're allowed to do or not. So it really depends on I think the genre the genre. But yeah, I mean, post-COVID, a lot of people were locked down in-house. So there was more demand in the marketplace for the learning apps or for the home yep. fitness apps and
1: more searches and a lot of opportunities on the web right yeah look i mean april and may of 2020 uh we had a, a quite a few education learning apps that quadrupled their spend in a month you know um, went from 100k to 400k within a month and you just don't see you don't often see the ability to increase ad spend that quickly yeah. um and, and maintain the same economics uh but that that it hasn't proven to be very sustainable um, in, in in that regard, and you know what we've seen in the past. I was just looking at some of the data that we have. Even in the past couple of months, I'm seeing pricing on Facebook go up quite a bit um, throughout uh, our customer base. So, like genre genre agnostic, you know, different genres are impacted more than others. But in the summer, um, you know, there's just a the, the pricing has gone up quite a bit um, since you know mid June to now uh, for the, the vast majority of our customers.
2: Kind of. So, uh, Mark, I I get this question in App Growth Network all the time from, obviously, you talked about mid-market, that's a really good place to, um, what advice do we have for, because I had this client of ours, obviously, solopreneurs with their own funding, they uh, went ahead and built this meditation app, and the numbers just wouldn't make sense for them at some point. and And obviously they're like, well, how can a small developer be successful in this this jungle, right? There's a lot of apps out there, a lot of developers without resources. So they're like, well, we've done, spend thousands of our own, we've built a product and we constantly tell them, well, a pro- another meditation product is not enough. You need to either have a brand or an approach or an angle to To succeed in here, like yeah, I mean, there's some ASO level, but again, how can you realistically move up? Because ASO is not a slant standalone channel; it needs to have a bit of a, um, you know, trend or hype behind it or velocity. Let's call that right with a lot of other factors in place. At At what point should they continue doing what they're doing and go be above and beyond, or just seek funding? They say, you know what? Um, obviously, sometimes they may not qualify because we know they're. They're not just within that minimum threshold of product economics, right? So what should they do?
1: Well, I, I think that you know, you need to answer that with a question, which is, what is your idea of success, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, if, if an entrepreneur, their idea of success is, is setting their own hours uh and working from home and not having a ton of pressure and taking weekends off and and uh you know spending a lot of time with their family uh and you know going on vacations and just living comfortably in some market that's not super expensive you know you might make the argument like just being in the market and generating some profit and paying your bills is sort of that's success for some people you know if their idea of success is building a rocket ship well you need fuel for that rocket ship and you need Fuel in the form of money, in the form of people, in, in an ambitious plan, uh, and and those things don't just show up in your lap, you know. And so, like, success comes to those who like define what that success is and then go after it. Um, you know, the people that are toiling at the bottom, uh, you know, I think they either have a misaligned expectation for what they can accomplish versus what they what is it what is, a, what, is a, what they're able to, uh, or they haven't really defined what success means for themselves. And and that's not to say that like. It's not hard. It's hard to build a successful company in the app business right now because there are, you know, the barriers of entry are quite low. Like, let's be right. realistic, the barriers of entry are quite low. Um, and so there's lots of noise in the system. And in order to rise above the noise, you have to, going all the way back to the start of this conversation, build a product that people love, right? Yep. Build a product that people love. And you, to your point, like, you need to build a brand and you need to do all these other things. First, build a product people love. Um, and if you build a product people love and you can feel good about, well, then you say, well, what do I want to accomplish next? And depending yeah. on what that what that what it is that you want to accomplish and the realistic ability to do that, um, that will define whether you should go out and try to raise money. It's not to say you can, but whether yeah. you should, right? Uh, if you if you like having August off, right? If you like taking the month of August off and and working half days on Fridays, right. uh, you shouldn't go to try to raise money from venture capitalists because yeah. that. Like, you that that just doesn't work that way you need to you need to sort of sell a portion of yourself in your life to go after this dream of building something really big yeah. um you know it, it it's from the outside looking at it, it seems like these unicorns come out of nowhere um in some cases they do, but in most cases, these are run by really, really ambitious people who have been killing themselves for a long period of time uh, and and are, are working nights and weekends and sacrificing elements of the quality of life that other people take for granted in yeah. order to build that big business. Um yeah. because failure isn't an option in that case. Uh and 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 if and if you do fail, like you fail miserably. Um so you know, I I I think that there's a really long-winded answer of saying like um the definition of the success is really in the hands of the people that are building these products. But if you build a really high quality product and people love it, then you have a little bit more optionality into defining what success looks like for yourself. You nailed it.
2: You nailed it. You nailed it. And again, I I don't know if I can even add any more comment to that because it resonates, right? Three years in business, talked to a thousand apps, you know, I've seen all different genres, all different opportunities. And not everybody looks at product development from the 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 next so we are coming to the last five minutes of this so very important question for you before we wrap this up an advice for people that i think they are ideal for bravo right or bravo is ideal for them Mm -hmm. at what stage should they get in touch and how do they evaluate that
1: sure so i mean we we can work with companies that are earning as little as ten k per month in revenue. Right. Um, again, primarily subscription apps, subscription businesses, uh, as little as ten k per month in revenue. okay. However, you know we're providing funding based upon the likelihood of revenue to be created in the future, which in part is 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 based upon their existing revenue as well as their retention metrics and their acquisition metrics. And so if you're just getting a ten k a month in revenue, Retention's not great. You're sort of, you've got a little bit of a leaky funnel. You spent some money in marketing. You're training people out. You're still doing testing. You know, Bravo's not going to be a a great partner because we can't give that much money to help you get over the hurdle. There needs to be a little bit more momentum before we're a good partner. It's the same thing with agencies, right? Like if you're not willing to spend 50K, it's really hard for an agency to be successful because it takes time to learn. It takes time to grow. and, And it takes meaningful budget to, to generate outcomes that are, that are, considered successful. So in the case of working with Bravo, you know, if you're doing as little as 10K in revenue and you're a one-person shop and you're just trying to sort of speed things up a little bit, well, we can help. But if you're if you're a company that's raised half a million dollars or a million bucks from from seed investors um, and you just started monetizing last month, Uh, You know, we might not be the best partner for you because you need to figure things out a little bit more. Um, But once you do, once you've proven that you have good retention, uh, once you've proven that you've got a good product, um, that, you know, maybe you're spending a little bit on user acquisition and you're doing so effectively, Bravo can be a really great partner. And and generally we are a long-term partner. So most of our customers have been with us many years because we are sort of an evergreen source of capital. So long as you're spending money effectively, so long as you're using our funds to continue growing your business, you can rely on us for the long term, and and again, referencing you know, ten percent happier as an example, they were one of our first customers. I think maybe twenty seventeen. Um, yeah. You know, we we've been working with them, and so they've been with us for a long time. Uh, and over the years, they've used our funding for a variety of things. They've used our funding yeah. to speed up their cash flows from their receivables. They've used our funding to spend purely on paid installs. They've used our fund our funding for a variety of other cross organizational initiatives, not even necessarily like related to marketing because you know, they've built a really successful business and we've proven to be a great partner because we are this source of funding based upon success, metrics, retention, high quality product, good customers, and good brand. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's really like, if you're thinking about building a, a valuable, long-term business that is sustainable, that is successful, you know, we can be a great partner for you. Really at all stages, which is why, you know, a company that, that could sort of outgrow a funding Mm -hmm. source like ours typically doesn't, you know, our, our largest customers are doing, you know, 60 to hundred million dollars a year in revenue, um, if not more. And that is like, that's a big business. And and the reason they continue to work with us is because there's still value in, in the type of funding that we can offer and and the partnership.
2: And actually you mentioned a really good point, and I'm going to wrap this up. I know the audience is, uh, Dave, actually, thanks for listening same for app growth network you know as you mentioned like and you know, if you don't have fifty thousand dollars obviously we don't say if you don't have like if you're not willing to actually be patient four to six months with an agency to see some results don't expect that we can create magic yeah we'll offer them some hourly consulting or an audit but we can't get involved with them beyond that at the beginning it was like yeah let's do one month it doesn't work by the time you get accesses by the time you put hypothesis in place you know, you need at least four to six months of patience, and you know, I mean, our great there we have clients that are working with us like you know, over two years now, they're happy, you know mm-hmm. um and there are times that where, you know, as you said, like there's they're, they should come to us instead of coming to you a retention problem, come here, can we put some new push notifications in place, Have some systems in place to help that out, right? But there are times that they should ask you like, you know, it is time for that to get to get funding before they come to agency because they can't just sustain that with their own budgets or their own investment, maybe it's time to open up another channel because they're making the minimum thresholds for what they need to do so um, thanks for attending today's call mark. Um, Thank how you. do people get yeah. in touch with you
1: uh they can email me mark at getbravo.com bravo has two a's m-a-r-k at G T B R A V ocom yeah. um you can probably put my linkedin profile on the on the podcast notes and and that and yeah. too
2: yeah and mine will be there for what at appgrowthnetwork.com thanks for listening and also uh, there will be a link to download the agn and broad bravo ebook about you know, how to basically unhack un- these stages of growth, the title of that ebook: Four Steps to Supercharge UA. I'm your host, Fawad Saidi, and thanks, Mark Loringer from uh, Bravo Capital, and we'll see you soon in the next episode. Thanks, Fawad. Talk soon. Thanks, Mike. Bye.
0: Wow, what an insightful conversation on revenue-based funding and what the user acquisition world looks like right now for mobile. If you wanna take your app to the next level and supercharge your user acquisition today, head over to appgrowthnetwork.com ebooks right now to download four steps to supercharge user acquisition. In this ebook, you'll find a step-by-step guide that goes into even more detail on how you can supercharge your user acquisition. Trust me, it will change your UA game forever. Thank you so much for joining me today. Again, this is your host, Eric Wu, Join me in our next episode of the App Growth Show. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Bye for now.